You're listening to Mission Lab. Mission Lab. From our living new man, Rain. Here's our parents, Sean and Camille Brace. Welcome back, everybody, to Mission Lab. I am excited to have another friend of mine on the show with me today. Chad, I was just thinking about how it's been probably like two decades since we first met. I'm thinking like uh, close to that. Yeah. yeah, we went to Andrews University together. I think you were in seminary there when I was an undergraduate. So that tells everyone that you're older than me. Um <laughs> What year did you what year did you start or what were the years you were at Andrews University? Yeah, so it was just shy of 20 years cuz that's when I first remember meeting you my first year there and uh that was in 2003 and I remember it cuz I just got married and then went straight to like seminary. Uh, so, okay, yeah. all right. So just just So 18, uh, 18 years 18 almost. Years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, so that voice you heard, my friends who are listening is my good friend Pastor Chad Stewart. And I'm excited to have him on the show today to talk about um, some different aspects of small groups and discipleship and and building community. So, Chad, thank you for being on the show with me today. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah. Yeah. So so just before we kind of dive into the main content of our our conversation, just tell a little bit, you know, our listeners, tell tell a little bit about who you are, where you are, what you do. All of, all of those kind of basic details. Uh, I am Chad Stewart, and I've been pastoring for I don't know how many years, 18 years or so, 17 years. And I um, have pastored in Georgia, in California, and now I am pastoring in Maryland. And I've been here in Maryland. This is my longest gig ever, a little over six and a half <laughs> years. Um, and I've been here and I've just like, as a crow flies, we're like 12 miles from the DC line, 15 miles from the DC line. But as traffic goes, it could take mm. you an hour to get down to DC. So, <laughs> so, uh, oh, we're not that, man, that, not that, that far from, we're I like, not do that. we're right between Baltimore and Washington, DC. So I'm surrounded by two huge metropolitan areas and I've, mm-hmm. some people it depends on on how long they've lived here some people refer to themselves as a suburb of baltimore and others refer to themselves as a suburb of dc so so oh, and, uh, okay okay yeah, that's my but, that's but where you're I'm, originally from uh yeah well well i'm 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 i spent the largest percentage of my life in california but people know me kind of as being from ohio because i think that's what i made the largest mm-hmm. impact in my relationships and also uh i always talk about ohio because that's where i met jesus so i am big on mm-hmm. on saying i kind of call ohio home and my parents live there now and my sister lives there and stuff so ohio definitely has a special place in my heart yeah Mm. Somewhere along the way, due to your time in California, you became a Los Angeles Dodgers fan. Yes, growing up, I was raised a Dodger fan. I was raised a Lakers fan. Um, but I chose my football team, which is the 49ers. So uh, 
my dad was a Rams fan, but the Rams were always losing. And I, the first Super Bowl I remember is the 49ers beating the Miami Dolphins in like 1985, 86 or 84-85 was what it was. And, uh, and so that's the first Super Bowl I remember. And I was a 49er fan from that point on and have been loyal to all my teams ever since. Um, although I did root for your boy, Tom Brady. That's, that's, and I acknowledge he is now the goat over, over Joe Montana. He is the goat. So, uh, it took you this long, took you this long. It took me to to last year. Last year is when I finally acknowledged it. But even Tom Brady, when they asked Tom Brady who he thought the greatest quarterback was of all time, he said Joe Montana. So, Mm. so, but he's a San Francisco. Well, he's not going to say himself, but anyway. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, you know, you're welcome also for Mookie Betts to the Dodgers. Yes. Anyway, we're not here to talk about sports. Yes. But thank you for that. We are. (laughs) Uh, We thank you for our first World Series and we're going to win several more probably with him. So we're appreciative of the. Yes, Red Sox. You, you are welcome. welcome. Casting him aside. <laughs> Gift. Yeah. 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 Yep. So, so just uh, tie things up here. You have one wife, three boys. One and, wife, three uh, boys. 12, 10, and eight. Yep. 12, 10, and eight years old. And my wife is a nurse. And, so t- and she's great. Awesome. 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 I don't really know your wife that well, Chad. That's another story, but I don't feel like I ever really. Well, when we were a seminary, my wife home. was like, and this was, this is kind of just on a side note. Uh, if there's anybody that is planning to attend the seminary with their spouse there, uh, be a better husband than I was because my wife, because we were making really no money from my salary, you know, I got a little stipend with, mm-hmm. from the conference, but otherwise she was working, uh, nights at the hospital and I was like hanging out like I was still in college. And, uh, so she'd come home and be like, (laughs) what'd you do? And I was like, well, I was out till one in the morning, like watching a baseball game with the guys, or I was, or I went golfing until sunset (laughs) and she's like looking at a pile of clothes that have not been folded or so. Oh, that's the story behind the story. And that's, that's where you and I, I think know each other the best is from the, uh, the ball field playing mm-hmm. against each other and intramurals and stuff. But, um, yeah. you, yeah, you were living it up while she was, I was, learning. I was still living like I was in college and, uh, she was making the money and I didn't realize that, um, probably pulling my weight more at home would have been healthy for our early marriage. <laughs> so, <laughs> but we made uh, well, it, we we're good. We love path. each other. We love each other and we're, <laughs> we're going on close to 20 years yeah. now. So we're okay. Wow. Awesome. So you, you alluded to it. You met Jesus in Ohio. How did mm-hmm. that all transpire? What was that all about? What was your life before knowing Jesus? And uh, uh, how did you yeah. come come to, to meet him? Uh, I was raised in a Christian home, a Seventh-day Adventist home. My dad works for the denomination that you and I are a part mm-hmm. of. And... Um, so I was raised in Adventist ghettos, much like I live in close to now. And, uh, but never had any relationship with Jesus and definitely had my wandering phase, probably starting about seventh grade through my junior into well into my junior year of high school. Uh, just the whole nine yards, drugs and girls and everything else. So, uh, 
But you and I have a mutual friend named Greg Taylor, uh, or you know Greg, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and uh, oh, I know Greg. He's he's a friend. I think he would call okay. me a friend. Yeah, I think he would call you a friend. I, I would assume he'd call you a friend. So Greg Greg Taylor was a mutual friend, and he was a high school classmate of mine. And Greg was a good Christian kid, but he hung out with me, and he felt convicted by God to share Jesus with me. And so he did. And, uh, and, uh, he just kept sharing Jesus with me, no matter how much I kind of mocked him and everything else. And then in April of 96, uh, just God, God showed up in a mighty way. April 26, 1996 is when I accepted Jesus. And, uh, Mm -hmm. I didn't plan to. I had no intention of going down that route. I actually was watching a baseball game. I fell asleep on the couch. And then I woke up and my friends had invited me to a Vespers, which is, you know, a Friday night a worship activity at the local church. And I wasn't going to go, but the church was really right across the street. So I didn't really have much of an excuse. And I was upstairs, like cleaning my room. I had fallen asleep watching this Reds baseball game. And I, and I was upstairs cleaning my room. <laughs> And I looked out the window. I didn't see any cars in the parking lot from the area I could see over across the street from the church. So I thought I'm not going to go. And then, man, Sean, no one will ever be able to tell me it wasn't the Holy Spirit because I had the strongest impression. Like I could not get out of my mind that I had to go. So I just went downstairs, walked across the street, and went into this room. And everyone's sitting on the floor. And I sat in the back of the corner. And... uh God just did some things. And I found out later that when I walked in the room, there was like a group of people that were sitting over there and they saw me come in and they were surprised and they knew that there was going to be an appeal made. Mm -hmm. And, and they started praying immediately at that point in time. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and so they started praying for me and, and some things happened. And at the very end of it, towards the very end of it, there was this, uh, guy that got up and he started doing something really goofy or whatever. And I leaned over to my friend and I said, let's get the blank out of here. (laughs) And, uh, he said, Mm -hmm. all right. Mm -hmm. And right then our chaplain stood up and I know you're really missional. So you'll love this. Uh, our chaplain stood up and that chaplain was one of my better friends at the whole school. He played golf with me, hung out with me all Mm -hmm. the time. Uh, you know, I had such a foul mouth. He knew the things I was doing, but he never like, uh, in, in class, I got kicked out of class a couple times for things I said, but, but overall, like he was just top shelf. And, uh, and so when he stood up, I wasn't going to walk out of the room when he was talking, I wasn't going to do that to him because, because mm-hmm. he was so awesome to me and he made an appeal and man, Right then, the Holy Spirit, like the Lord just spoke to my heart. And there was some junk going on in my life. I won't get into that. But um, there's some things that were going on in my life, pretty intense things. And uh, and God was just like, tried everything else. Why not give me a try? And I did. I stood up and hmm. changed my life. That was the beginning of my journey. So, mm. Wow. So, yeah. Wow. So Chad, 25 years ago, this last, 25 years ago, last April. So. Oh man, that's powerful. That's really, I, that's really moving. I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, it kind of, kind of relates to some things that you and I have been talking about 
just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, privately. And this is not the bulk of what I want to talk about, but I think it's yeah. a very important part of the conversation. And that is you are a little more, you have a little more willingness to be direct with people. And partly it's because of your own, yeah. your own journey in the faith. Like I'm a lot more non-confrontational and you've told me that I'm too nice. Um, so, to, so, so talk a little bit about that. Like just, just, just bringing direct appeals to people. You're a big advocate of that. Yeah. I'm a little more blunt on that and I'm a little more, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not like a, I'm not like a big come to the front preacher, although I have done that, you know, but I, I definitely, if I'm confronted with a situation where I sense that someone is, um, I sense that the Holy spirit has been moving in some way or something. I'm, I'm quick to like try to capture that moment. Uh, mm-hmm. because I don't want to say no for them, I guess is one of my things. So, hmm. you know, just I like, like I was there in that room, what if that chaplain had just said, like, what if he had just said, you know, we've had a good thing and I hope you've been blessed tonight and, and go home. But he had like specifically thought like, I'm going to make an appeal tonight. And, and so he stuck with that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, if mm-hmm. he hadn't mm-hmm. have made that type of appeal, then I wouldn't have gone. And let me tell you, I mean, I remember one time we were at an event and they made an appeal and my mom happened to be there helping with some food or stuff in the back. It was like a school event and they made, uh, the preacher made an appeal and she told me afterward, or she told us afterwards, you know, I just have to say it broke my heart that all three of my kids remained seated, <laughs> you know, cause we, I wasn't like the type to go forward for anything. <laughs> you know, I remember one time that, that yeah, some yeah. preacher came and he made an appeal and everybody, we had 140 kids at our high school. They wasn't a big high school. Everybody went forward except for me and this one guy named Mike. I, I won't say his last mm-hmm. name, but Mike and I, and he looked over at me and I looked at him and he gave me a head nod. I gave him a head nod. And so I just wasn't like, I, I hated appeals, <laughs> but you know what? That appeal got yeah. me, whatever it was in that moment. And so I tried not to shy away mm-hmm. from those mm-hmm. when I mm-hmm. sense like God, God's mm-hmm. moving. And, and I'm not worried about if as much about if like someone's going to be bothered or whatever it was. Cause I was bothered a hundred times mm-hmm. and yet still mm-hmm. that one time it worked and mm-hmm. uh, my life mm-hmm. is different because mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. So, and then, and then I think too, I had people that like confronted me. Greg even was confronting to me on some of the things as he got more bold and his witness to me, he became more and more, a little bit more confronting. And in his confrontation, I was challenged to be more open. Like I walked across the street, I think, because mm-hmm. I had for the first time in recent history, like just a few weeks prior to that, said an actual prayer for myself because I was confronted with the idea mm-hmm. that like, Maybe God can't save me. I'm lost or whatever it may be. And I don't even know if I really comprehended all those terms, what they meant. You know, I mean, I was like, I would say I was as much deist as anything thinking that, you know, there was a God, but I wasn't really one to think Mm -hmm. that like God had any involvement in what was going on. So I don't know how it worked, but yeah, because of that, I become more more blunt, I guess. Maybe that's part of my upbringing. Mm -hmm. And you see me on sports field, you know, yeah, I'm just kind of mouthy your... anyways. <laughs> <laughs> I won't, I won't address that. I will yeah. not confirm nor deny that. I've been known to be a little mouthy on the sports field myself, but, um, but I really like that, man. Like, I'm not going to say no for somebody else. I really like that. It's a really good word. 
Um, so and we could talk more about that, but I yeah, want to yeah. get to a few other few other things. So you you said you pastored in Georgia, California. You've planted churches. Mm-hmm. You now pastor what in Adventism we would call quote unquote like an institutional church. Um, yeah, it's a big church. What a couple thousand members. Yeah. Um, it's kind of you know you were planting churches before. Now you're in this huge institutional church. And you've had a burden mm-hmm. to try to kind of transition it away from being an institutional church. How how have you tried to do that? What does that mean? What does it look like? How has it gone? Oh, yeah. So let me say one thing positive about institutional churches first, because we <laughs> yeah. always think of institutional churches as the worst. But now that I've been here, you know, when I even coming, I was like, oh, institutional churches. And I grew up around institutional churches. So for me, they were all shallow and and there was no real warmth and there was like mm-hmm. no real you know there was no nobody making any life change you know i don't mm-hmm. think that's totally true um i also think maybe that, we could before before we go on i yeah. i should have said maybe we should define what we mean by institutional church. okay yeah yeah so to me what an institutional church is is because of its proximity to a large denominational institution. So, um, I lived in Loma Linda. My dad was a professor in Loma Linda. So there was a Loma Linda university church. There was a Loma Linda campus Hill church. Both those churches sit on the campus of the university. They have members simply by Mm -hmm. the fact that their proximity to the location, like you and you and Mm -hmm. I always say your the name wrong bank Bangor. Did I say it right? How to Bangor. You you got it. Yeah. Good bank. You and Bangor, Bangor, like your church is not an institutional church. Like you're going to grow because like the community around you, right? I mean, like the the actual community mm-hmm. around you. Whereas mm-hmm. uh, institutional churches to me are churches that have become self-perpetuating. Like they don't, that's the danger mm-hmm. of them. You don't really need in some ways the power of the Holy Spirit to like continue to operate. Just for instance, Mm -hmm. in the last, I figured this out like maybe a year or two ago in my first four years, maybe. So I guess it was a couple years ago in the first four years, we had had like 370 some people. I don't remember the exact number transfer out of our church and like 550 people transfer into our church. And when I say transfer, I mean, come from one Mm -hmm. seventh day Adventist church into our church. So we had more people, almost double the amount of people transfer out of our church in a four-year span than most churches have as far as membership goes in their lifetime, right? And yet we still grew because we had also a total of 500 and some transfer in. But mm-hmm. but there's not really what we would call the kingdom growth there. You know, uh, that's not mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. conversions. That's not people coming to relationship with Jesus or some of these things. Uh, so that's like, so they're self, yeah. per, so institutional churches in its proximity to where it's at. And as you know, but I'll share for your audience, where I'm at is I'm close to the denominational headquarters of the Seventh Adventist Church of the world denomination mm-hmm. of the North American division denomination. They're both 12 minutes away from where I'm at. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we have a university not too far away. We have the 
union office nearby, which is another uh, level of the denomination. And then we have a conference, which is another level of the denomination. And so all those things within just a few minutes of me. So, of course, you're going to have members. And it's very easy to be like, hey, we're doing well. Because imagine if you're the average member in the pew mm-hmm. and you look there and a year later you look and you see like, like for instance, uh, last year I think we had 98 new people join our church. You look around and it's like, man, there's different people here. We must be growing. Something must be good, must be happening. When the reality is, is mm-hmm. it's just a lot of growth because of the institutions that exist around it. The good thing I would say about the institutions, though, mm-hmm. that I that I want to say just yeah, as I, I cut you off. I cut yeah, you no. Off. Well, I just because because I've come to like appreciate a couple things about the institution, and one of those things is this. I don't know what your the tithe of your church was last year, but the tithe of our church was three point five million dollars. That's eighteen percent mm-hmm. of our conference budget, and the conference is a is a territory that oversees like hundred and some churches or yeah. And there's like, you know, or 91 churches and 70 some pastors, something like that. Well, you know, I'm not going to name any names, but there's a couple of churches that are not too far away from here that their total tithe, they have like a total tithe maybe of a $200,000. So two churches combined and they have a pastor at their church. Well, if we had that same ratio, we'd have 17 pastors at our church, you know? Um, so, so there's a lot of people that are employed based on the fact that there's an institutional church in their conference. Does that make sense? And some yeah, of the, I see what some of saying. the, yeah. some of the things that people appreciate, like the summer camps for the kids and, um, the camp meetings and these various things are, are somewhat supported by the institutional church, if that makes sense of what I'm, what I'm saying. So mm-hmm. that yeah, said, so you're, so you're, that's, your success kind of helps other churches, you know, with their ministry is what you're saying. Yeah, I don't want to define it as a success though, because you know my I'm an evangelist at heart. So my <laughs> I want to say that our <laughs> our health financially uh your financial helps, health helps uh with ministry on a much broader level than I appreciated before I was a part of an institutional church. Mm-hmm like seeing where our money actually goes mm-hmm. and thinking about the fact that this much goes towards missionaries and this much goes towards uh, this like small district of churches. And so they can have someone working with them. You know, uh, I, I am, I'm appreciative of that. That said, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't want us to be an institutional church <laughs> in the sense of that. That's how <laughs> so, we grow so okay. and that's how we operate. Yeah, so so let's let's go there. Um, our 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 time is ticking by, and you and I are both pastors who have the gift of gab. So yeah, sorry. We're gonna kind of try to keep this moving along. No, no, no. You're good. You're good. Um, so so how have you tried to transition away from institutionalism? How has that gone? And um, then we'll get into like your your uh, kind of awakening or reawakening with small groups specifically. So yeah. Go ahead. Kind of take that. So it's been a slow, uh, slog. I will say that I'm six years in and we've seen some progress. One thing that I would say that I've really, uh, been proud of or happy about is a lot of people that we would call inactive in the church have reengaged 
and and become active and engaged in the in the local body um there's a gentleman i'll use an example there's a gentleman in my small group and he says all the time that i cannot believe um that i teach children's sabbath school that i'm in a small group uh he's mm-hmm. you know he said i used to come to church and i come only for my wife and he'd br- he'd bring books and he says you've ruined my reading pastor chad i used to read all the way through church and now i like <laughs> feel like i have to be engaged and involved and, and you know uh he read the bible through for the first time ever in his life so there's people like this that were that would are self-defined being totally inactive disengaged not really what they would call a truly committed follower of jesus to now being engaged um and and so i'm so mm-hmm. i'm so I think there's some things that have happened there like that. But we tried when I first came, one of the things I tried to do was go the evangelism route. We held a number of evangelistic meetings. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, when I speak of evangelistic meetings, I mean like campaigns where we promote our doctrines and 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 uh, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. talk about the systematic our systematic view of the Bible. Those didn't really go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, we worked on changing some of the culture which did go somewhere we 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 totally deconstructed and then rebuilt our kind of our hospitality system and that helped a lot that that changed a lot um but i have to say that it is for for someone who's an evangelist and who has been had success in church growth from the standpoint of baptizing people and and winning or not winning, reaching people that don't know Jesus and bringing them into relationship with Jesus. It has been the most challenging time for me because um, mm-hmm. that has not happened as it has historically in the past. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, 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 for sure. So so you were um, yeah, like what really piqued my curiosity was you. You said I remember early on during. COVID that you just got really excited about small groups and you're like, Mm -hmm. boy, this is what I really miss. This is what I really want. And so you've now, you know, pursued a conscious effort Mm -hmm. to to get small groups going with your church. And obviously you're kind of speaking my language there. I I think we need to be more community focused, like, you know, among each other. Um, What was it that kind of brought you to that that not conviction, but that desire. And yeah. then how has that gone? Uh, COVID, you know, for all the bad things that COVID is, and it is mm-hmm. a lot of bad things. What I think it gave some of us the opportunity to do, especially in church structures like mine, it gave us mm-hmm. the opportunity to pause and have to re-examine everything. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I said something on, I don't know where it was, I said it, the other day uh but i said that what COVID has shown me is that i wasn't that outside of the box i was just better at doing status quo than other people were at doing status quo in other words like i was doing this i was doing <laughs> status quo too i was doing it better than other people so it fooled me into thinking that that we wow. were doing something yeah transformational for Jesus. And really I'd have to say like five years, Mm -hmm. this is, I've now been over six years here, but for the first five years, 
Now, I don't want to say that everything that we've done is is bad. I mean, like, again, there's been growth, mm-hmm. non uh, people who had walked away from, from God and, and the church community have come back. Uh, those things are great. We've changed mm-hmm. the culture as far as mm-hmm. it used to be known as one of the most unfriendly churches around. When I, when I came, people said, oh, don't go there. They're so unfriendly. And now it's known as one of the most friendly mm-hmm. local pastor from the other large church here. Mm-hmm. Said, Chad, I've lived here 21 years. Charles Tapp said, Chad, I've lived here 21 years. I never came to this church. Now he's been three times to our church. He said, I had to come because I had so many members saying, you won't believe how welcoming Spencerville is. Spencerville Seventh Avenue Church is. That's the name of the church where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Spencerville Seventh Avenue Church. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so 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 there's good things that have happened, but really transformational. And and that COVID gave me the opportunity to look at the whole big picture and realize we don't really know how to care for each other. Like our local our members don't know how to buy this. All men will know that you're my disciples mm-hmm. that you have love one to another. We didn't really know how to do that. Uh, yeah. We we didn't know how to engage necessarily in our neighborhoods. Uh, we had we were getting phone calls like, "What's the church doing? What's the church doing? What's the church doing?" And it's like suddenly this realization mm-hmm. that you are the church and you're not doing anything. You know, so so we yeah, we, yeah. we really like uh, so so that was convicting. And then during COVID, like right at the beginning of COVID, my wife was starting to form a small group before COVID started. And it happened that the very first week that we had to separate as a church and no longer meet in person because of the laws here in the land, um, that that my wife started her small group. And then I had another group of friends that started a small group during COVID. And I was talking with my wife and I was talking to this group of friends and I was hearing them. And you know what they all seemed to have that a lot of other people weren't having? They were perfectly content. They didn't feel like, they were mm-hmm. not missing mm-hmm. church the same way you were hearing from other people. Mm. Uh, in fact, some of mm-hmm. them said, Pastor, is it bad for me to say this feels more like how God intended the Sabbath to be? You know, like we're mm-hmm. together as our small group and then we go out in nature or we've mm-hmm. gone out and done this activity together. Or we've gone and done this. Um, there was things like my wife's small group, one of uh, the members' coworkers had a had something go on in their family this is not a believer not anybody connected to our church but one of our our mm-hmm. members i think i think it was uh the member that works at chipotle they had they had a co-worker that had something go on this small group put together all these things mm-hmm. for this mm. person that worked at chipotle you know you get what I'm saying? Like they were doing the ministry there for this, this person. Um, and I was just like, we've got to do something. This is the way ministry is supposed to happen. And I had a pastor on my team mm-hmm. who she's been constantly saying, Pastor Chad, what do you think about small groups? What do you think about small groups? I was like, man, I don't think they'll work here. I don't think they'll work here. And I was like, <laughs> forget it. We're doing it. And, uh, you know, I went back mm-hmm. and I read this statement by one of the founders of the Seventh Adventist Church, you know, who said, you know, I've been shown by a method which cannot fail, you know, mm-hmm. joining together in companies for mm-hmm. prayer support, but also do the work of ministry for others. And I just like read that over and over mm-hmm. again. And I read the context around it. Is this really, is this really what's being said? I read other things about it mm-hmm. and yep, this is what is being talked about. And, um, and I found other statements that would go along with the whole small group idea. Um, 
And I just said, you know what, this is what we got to do. And then the, and then the text that was most convincing, convincing was of course, Hebrews 10, where it says, dude, I got, I had a member call me and say, pastor, Mm -hmm. we should be getting together. The Bible says we should not give up the habit of meeting together. Right. And I was just like, I know, I know. And I went back and I was looking at that text and I was like, wait a second, this text has nothing to do with meeting in large groups. Because it's all about strengthening and building each other up (laughs) and encouraging one another. And and then I read a book called uh, Letters to the Church by Francis Chan. You take all those things together and I was like, we're just going to do this. We're going to do small groups. (laughs) By the grace of God, we'll see how it goes in the midst of COVID. And that's how we got to small groups. And that all happened in a matter Mm. of like a month and a half. Mm. So, yeah, yes, Chad, you're, you're exciting me, brother. You're exciting me. And you just kind of, you, I don't want to, I don't want to say you unilaterally made the decision for your church, but you kind of were just like, you kind of threw off all formal, uh, protocol and just been like, we're doing it right. I threw up, I threw out processes and some of those things, um, I, you know, that's the hard thing too about the institutional church is we have so many committees for every single thing, or we like make a committee to talk Mm. about what we should do to do this, you know? (laughs) So those are some things that are like a bit challenging for me. I don't actually dislike committees. I'm actually have fun on them because I'm a very talkative person. So I don't mind sharing my opinion, but they do definitely (laughs) slow down. Like what I would say are some good ministry ideas. I took it to my church I mean, I took it to my staff. So there's a staff of us. We have five pastors on staff and a minister of music. So we're mm-hmm. a large church. But I, so I took it to our, to my staff mm-hmm. and I said, Hey, this is what I think we need to be doing. And I want all of you on board. Yes. And they were like, yes. Okay, good. So, I mean, they were all on board because I, I share with them mm-hmm. what God had been doing on my heart and what I was seeing and stuff. And they were, and I don't have a team that's like not as, as passive. You know, one of the pastors on my team, Jason, Jason and I have been doing ministry together. He was out in mm-hmm. California planting a church with me. So we've been doing ministry together for over 10 years. And mm-hmm. he tells me exactly what he thinks of me mm-hmm. sometimes. So, so we, we, I have, I don't have anyone that's going to, uh, it, I mean, I have people that are going to speak truth to me, but we all agreed something yeah. needed to happen and we couldn't, like we weren't able mm-hmm. on our own to manage all these folk. And I said, I'm going to preach a series on small groups and then we're going to launch. And I said, and I don't care if it's imperfect. Mm -hmm. We're not going to put a bunch of obstacles in the way. We're going to tell people gather two or three, three friends, let us know about it. That's a small group. You know, uh, you, you just want to ride bikes together. That's a small group. We're not going to put a bunch of labels on it. We're not going to put, this is about building the relationships and going from there. And brother, we've gone from two small groups Mm -hmm. to 23 small groups in our church. And, uh, mm, and mm, that's awesome. And those two small groups were, were one that met on a Tuesday night studying this book called the great controversy. And they've been doing it over and over again. And this other group that, um, that met at some people's house and they've been meeting together for like 10 years. And it's just their little, it's just their group of people. Those were our two small groups. So it's not a small group ministry. Those were the two small groups, but they weren't really like mm-hmm. wide open, you know, or known about. And we went from that to 23 some groups and we have over 200 people in small groups now. Plus we've been working with our, mm. with our Bible study, Saturday morning Bible study groups 
so that they're more uh, operating like a small group. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so we just launched it out of a sermon mm-hmm. series and called for people to sign up as leaders and called for people to sign up to be a part of a small group. And I've just been so blessed. Mm-hmm. It's been, I'm just, God is just that's, awesome. That's awesome. So, so, awesome. so you kind of, yeah, and you kind of uh, touched on it, but just to be more explicit, what are the specific benefits of a small group? You know, we call them missional communities, um, but what are the specific benefits that you feel a small group provides that, you know? Well, just for my studies, the thing I, for my studies, what I think small groups provide is that should be the place where pastoral care happens. Mm. Second, I believe that all ministry should flow out of small groups. Now, what I mean by that is right now we are a church with small groups. My, We're a church of events with small groups. I want to become a church of small groups with events. So in other words, there's a couple of events maybe in the year that we do collectively as a church, but largely mm-hmm. the ministry is flowing out of the small groups. And that's already beginning to happen. Uh, someone posted something mm-hmm. on Facebook. There was a lady that was not a part of our church. She was uh, her her, uh, I think her mother had died and she had to be out of town. And some member of ours knew this person and said, someone needs to take care of the chickens. And so a small group immediately said, Hey, we'll go take care of the chickens. You know, uh, Mm. uh, there's, there was someone that said, Hey, this place up about an hour and a half away from us needs help, uh, with distributing the COVID vaccine. We've had a couple small groups go up there to help volunteer to do that. They just responded mm-hmm. themselves. They didn't come to me and ask permission. Pastor, is it okay if we do this? They just on their own did it. I, mm-hmm. I ran into a guy and he said, Hey, I won't see you this Sabbath. We were having a drive in church right now outdoors, but people drive in with their cars and listen on the radio. Mm-hmm. He said, Hey, I won't be there this Sabbath because our small group is going down to DC because we volunteered at the soup kitchen. They didn't ask me, is that, is that okay? Or we mm-hmm. need to put this on the calendar or, can we advertise this? None of that. They just are doing it. And that's mm-hmm. the ministry that is happening mm-hmm. um, right now. Uh, mm. uh, another small group leader told me about how they had a member in their group who had a brother that died. And this lady, uh, the, the small group like just surrounded this lady and loved on her, uh, who her brother died unexpectedly. And they provided food for the family and did all these things. I want to say this. I I know who this lady is, but I don't know her well. If we were in our normal church structure, Sean, there probably wouldn't even have been a mention of the fact that her brother had died. Because we have over 2,000 members. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't even know when someone always – I mean, this brother wasn't a part of the church. He wasn't someone we were connected with. But but this lady had a group of Mm -hmm. 13 other people around her to love her and to care for her. Does that make sense what I'm saying? And I don't think that would have ever happened within oh, yeah. our normal church structure without uh, without that small group. Another thing that's happened is I, my evangelist heart loves this. One of our members started a small group. They're studying this book by Tim Keller, uh, The Reason for God. And, mm-hmm. and there's a lady who I could not pick her out. If we were walking down the street, I would not be able to point her out to you. She walked right by me. Or even if she walked up to me and said, do you know who I am? I would not be able to tell you who she is, but she's a lady that is at our church. But again, 2000 members, I don't know every (laughs) single person. Um, and, and 
she, based on the blessing of a small group, she's now down. She works at the State Department in D.C. She started a Bible study with like six other coworkers. She has an agnostic. She has an atheist in her mm-hmm. small group, and they're studying this book, Reason for God. Mm-hmm. If I had got up front and said, folks, I want mm-hmm. you to go to your workplaces and start a group, you know, start a Bible study with your coworkers. Mm-hmm. This lady who I can't even pick out of a lineup would not have done that, right? I mean, she's been mm-hmm. going to church at Spencerville for a few mm-hmm. years, and 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 she's just kind of quiet to herself. Yet here, because mm-hmm. of the ministry in the small group, she's now witnessing to people and 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 doing mm-hmm. a Bible, like studying a, a book about who God is with an agnostic and an atheist. And that's the way, not me, not the pastor. She's doing it mm-hmm. at the State Department in DC. That's mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. small group, that's how church is supposed to work. And that's the blessing of small groups. And sorry, mm-hmm. I get so hyped up. I'm preaching. Oh, man, I love it, brother. Bring it, bring it. I love it. It's so good. So, so good. I'm so excited that, um, you know, you're excited about this. It's really awesome. You've uh, you've told me that you're in two small groups, but I want to specifically yep. talk about the main one with your family. Your wife comes mm-hmm. to you and says, hey, we're going to do a small group with a few other families, and it's going to be centered around the children. And you're like, uh, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, that's exactly Tell me right. about that. The small group is focused on the children. They're not like sideshows that you're just trying to tolerate. They are the center of your small group. Yeah. So Christina, being the awesome woman she is, she has more foresight on some things than I do. Even when I was starting to talk about small groups, she's like, well, then you need to be in a small group. I was like, okay, I'll start one. Okay, I'll start one. Okay, I'll start one. <laughs> and I did start a men's small group. But then she wanted to do this this, uh, this family small group. And she said, we're going to do a small group for the kids. So I went to my oldest son and I said to him, hey, you got to start preparing because you're going to have to like help lead this small – you're going to lead this small group. And then one day we were talking and Christina goes, I need you to read this in preparation for our family group that's coming up in a couple of weeks that we're starting. And I said, why do I need to read it? And she said, because we're all going to be a part of it. <laughs> and I said, like, we're going to have to sit there and do the stuff with the kids. And she's like, yes. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I don't want to do that. Like, <laughs> like can't like kids just go and do it like somewhere else or be in the basement with their masks on distance and we can Watch sit on the back porch and, and talk. You know? She's like, no, we're, we're going to do it together. And praise God for her wisdom because uh, these families uh, have done this and the parents help facilitate it, but the kids play a role in all the aspects of leading out. And it's only about 35, 40 minutes of the actual study time with the kids. And when I say study time, it's probably only about 10 minutes of actual study time. Otherwise, they're doing things like this last week, they had to build a tower of cups uh, and then they had to, mm-hmm. they had these, uh, these three by five cards and they're supposed to memorize a scripture during the week. And they had to like put those three by five cards in order on the scripture to build their scripture down the tower. Hmm. It's like, here's the first phrase and the second, you know, and down the, hmm. down the tower, hmm. you know, and they loved it. They did it forever. They kept saying, oh, I got it. And then their tower fall over. Oh, I got it. Oh, their tower. But they were like learning. And then at the end she said, who can, who can say the scripture? And all these kids raise their hand. It's like. They, they're, they're learning the Bible. We did the armor of God. The kids dressed up in armor. We talked about what these things meant. And, and, uh, and then they're, then they're leading out, they're sharing things. 
And we also, my wife did something really smart too. At the at the very first one, she gave everyone a notebook and she said, this is going to be your prayer journal for all our small group. And so at the end of every small group, she has them write in this journal, the, the acronym PRAY, uh, mm-hmm. praise, uh, um, repent, ask, and, and yes. Yeah. So like, yeah. So, so it's these things, it's this, it's this, uh, <laughs> It's this this acronym, but but it's just so you it just, say it. I just was trying to get you off the hook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah, because I don't have to write in the prayer journal, but the kids do. But they all quietly write and do this thing together, and and it's beautiful. And then afterwards, they get up and they play, and we sit and we have our conversation, and and we're learning about each other too. And that, mm-hmm. but the kids are are so strong. And when we took a break, every parent said our kids are like saying, "When can we go back to small group? When can we go back to small group?" When I was that age, Sean, all mm-hmm. I thought about was like, I do not want to be around any church or any church people. Like, don't make me sit with church, you know, like, mm-hmm. and, and luckily mm-hmm. for me, my parents were nominal Adventists, so I didn't even have to do it that much, but that's how much I disliked it. That when I did have to do it <laughs> on the very rare occasion, it was like <laughs> dreadful to me to have to sit at a church event. And my kids love being around church. They love being around mm-hmm. church people. And, uh, and they're loving small group, and I'm just praising Jesus for this. And during the week, we do our our Bible studies together as a family in preparation for small group. And mm-hmm. each family takes a turn leading. And so, like on our weeks, Christina says, "Okay, who's gonna who wants to lead out in the conversation about this?" Okay, I'll do that. One of the boys will say, "Okay, who's gonna help uh, explain to everyone the activity?" Oh, I'll do that. Okay, who's gonna have prayer? like for these things and oh i can do that you know every single week and and i'm just like jesus is awesome you know i just love it and and it's no pressure it's like it's it's 30 minutes it's 30 minutes and then the kids get up and they enjoy running around and and but but we're instilling in them the value of small groups and we're instilling in them like i'm hoping my kids will grow up and go you know what Someone goes, hey, you want to be in a small group? My kid's going to go, well, I was in a small group as a kid, and I loved it. You get what I'm saying? Like, Rather than mm-hmm. it being like, oh, we sat there and, and we had to listen of, to this thing. So, Yeah, and, they, and, they, and they, when they think of church, it's like they think of small group. And they're like, oh, yep. yeah, I love church because it's like that's, that's what it is to me is hanging out with your friends, having fun activities around Jesus. And you know, I, I suppose some would say, well, that's kind of like – in our denomination, like a, a kid's Sabbath school. Um, but it's, I, I think there's probably a lot more informality in what you're describing, right? Like they don't have to dress up in these little suits. And Yeah, there's more informality, kids. one. Number two, they're a lot more engaged than they mm-hmm. are within the Sabbath school. You know, there's the peer kids. pressure within a small group is positive because you have a limited number Mm-hmm. everybody's involved. So that one kid that doesn't want to be involved, isn't going to be like that. He's more likely to, or she's more likely to be involved. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Sabbath school, you can get a group of kids that are like, yeah, we're not going to do that. And then the one kid that was willing to do it, he backs away or she backs away because like, I don't want to be the weird one or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's mm-hmm. positive peer pressure in the small group that doesn't exist in the Sabbath school. There's also mm-hmm. an intentionality to involve each kid and there. And it's not just intentionality. There's preparation beforehand for that kid to be involved. So you're not calling on the kid who, who will do this, who will do this in the last minute. No, it's like, okay, 
they're going to now do this. They're going to now do this. Okay. They're going to explain this. There's intentionality all the way through. And, and that makes it so much, mm -hmm. um, uh, mm -hmm. it makes it more, uh, has a greater impact. They're not walking into somewhere with yeah. someone already prepared That's a program for them, but now they're, they're intentionally a part of the preparation and the carrying out of that thing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot harder to get lost in the cracks when you're in a home. There's like a handful of kids, um, mm -hmm. a lot more participation. So you and I, you and I talked before. Um, so someone listening might be like a stay at home mom or a mm -hmm. stay at home dad. And they're like, oh, boy, my kids get my attention 24 seven already. I just I don't want to have to do that. You know, I want some really good adult conversation mm -hmm. focus you know that sort of thing but you're saying that you get plenty of that even as it is yeah we get it because uh the kids get up and run around you know and during this during the fall uh during the summer and the fall it was better because they could just like be crazy outside mm -hmm. we're now meeting at the church in a socially distanced a large room so we can all be socially distanced but then the kids go outside and they run there. So if parents are like not sure that they their kids can run around, then that'd be a more of an issue. But we're kind of like go out and enjoy nature, you know. Um, mm -hmm. But we then what we find is the kids literally play for like an hour usually or even a little bit longer. And the adults sit there and have that conversation. Um, last week, Christina said, hey, I'm doing this. The DA with DA. Uh, you and I have a friend, David Asherick, who oh, is yeah. doing – uh, going to read the desire of ages in 90 days. And so Christina said, I'm going to do this. Does anybody else in the group want to do it? And so we started talking about it. Well, there's several people in the group that have never, ever read this book. That's a great book. You've probably read it. You know, uh, uh, it's a great book about the life of Jesus and they've never read it. And so they're like, yeah, we'll do that with you. So then we were talking about that and how that was all going to go. Um, We've had moments where people have shared, like we had a late, one of our members shared about when her mother died and, and right before her wedding and the challenges related to that and all of those things. So there was all this, like there's these, there's these moments where we're able to connect and, and build these, these bridges, um, uh, from, from out of these, these situations. And we're just able to share our experiences and our life together and, we pray for each other and we care about each other and we eat food together. Uh, and, and those relationships are some of the relationships that I value most. And I, I am not, I have to say, I'm not mm -hmm. much of a, here's the craziest thing, Sean. I am not a huge small group person. Now I'm in two small groups cause I'm in a men's group right mm -hmm. now and I'm in a, this other one. But what I mean by that is this, um, I'm outgoing. I'm gregarious. I can be like whatever, but I am perfectly happy to sit at home with a book and talk to maybe one or two people a week. My wife actually teases me that when she leaves town, she calls pastor Jason and says, go check on Chad, make sure he's like being social and getting out of the house, you know, because I literally will like go to work do what I need to, but then I will just be by myself. Um, so I'm not one that's ever felt a need really for a small group. And yet that saying that both my small groups, 
but especially that family small group, mm-hmm. um, those relationships are what I value the most. Again, both small groups, I, I, I value them a ton, but, but, mm-hmm. but, but I am sad when we're not meeting together, which I can't say that I would have ever said that about mm-hmm. anything else. And it feels like mm. church to me. Mm. And what's what's going? Mm. What I believe will end up happening is as people are in these things. If you're if you're doing real life with people and real relationship with people, you start to care about those people. But then not only that, you start to care about the people that they care mm. about. Um, one of our members talked mm. to us about two high school friends of his and asked us to pray for them. And he was telling us about them. Well, now I've been praying for these two high school friends that are not connected to Jesus, that are not walking with the Lord. And, and, and thinking about that, told me about a neighbor of his that, or a guy that he plays tennis with. And he's saying, should I bring him to church? And so we've been talking about those types of things. Those things start to happen out of the small group where I begin to care about people that I would not otherwise care about or think on or whatever it may be because they matter mm-hmm. to other people. And, and so that's how the kingdom can grow. And I'm excited about it. Mm. I love it, man. I love it. And what I... What I hear you saying is that, you know, the concern about the potential, even though you've said there isn't really a lack in adult conversation, a small group or missional community or whatever we call them, they're not just a meeting. So you are creating bonds with those other people that spill over into all of life. And when yeah, you, these are my you, friends, I, I, I got a text yeah. message from one of them this morning. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, these are my friends, uh, mm-hmm. and, and there's relationships growing. And, mm-hmm. um, I would tell parents like, don't, don't, don't worry. I know it can be frustrating with the kids, whatever, but get a few of them, get some people they know, and then, and then have a short study with them and then let them go. And you'll bond there too. You, you will get that benefit, that blessing from the group. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it does go beyond and, and let's let's be honest, Sean. There are some small groups that don't. They struggle. My thing mm-hmm. to those people would say: mm-hmm. if it doesn't work, quit and get into another one. You know, like don't give up mm-hmm. on all small groups because it's the same thing I say to people: this church doesn't work for you. Guess what? There's lots of other churches around. You know, find something that works for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, when people tell me, you know, Pastor Chad, this this church, I just am not. I'm struggling. Say, hey, then find another church. You don't have to be at my church for me to like be happy. I want you to be mm-hmm. connecting with the body of Christ, and that's what I care about. I would say the same thing about small groups. You know, if you want to be in a different group, then go be in a different group. But but don't give up on the whole. Don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. You know, like uh, it's 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 so worth it. And Sean, I gotta say some some to you. Thank you on this because man, you always are harassing me about this this nonsense. You know, mocking me because I'm in a big giant church. <laughs> And thinking I'm not quite a quite a true pastor enough, uh, as you are with your whole missional movement. Uh, but but your harassment has been good for me, uh, even if you're mistaken in some of your understandings uh, of it. But uh, your harassment's been good for me and always challenging to me, and I love you for it. And uh, I, I love Camille for putting up with you. Oh, and so, uh, and, but anyways, I, I do love you, brother. I'm proud of what you're doing. She, she is. I, I love you too, brother. I, I appreciate that. And it's really been, yeah, I mean, I, I learned a lot. You, um, you know, you also harass me to be fair. 
And yes, uh, I, do. I don't feel it maybe as much as I guess you feel my condemnation, Chad, but, um, <laughs> well, let me, can I, uh, I say this? No, the, I, the reason why yeah. I feel it is because there's truth in it. What I said, I realized ah. in COVID is this, mm-hmm. that it wasn't that I was so great of a pastor. I was just better at doing status quo than everybody else. And that's not mm-hmm, mm-hmm, what mm-hmm. God calls us to. God calls mm-hmm. us to mm-hmm. to relationships with others so that we can walk with them in relationship towards Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. that's my greatest passion because someone did that for me. And yes, Probably along the way, I will mm. say to them, you should be doing A, B, or C that you might not be saying, <laughs> that you might not feel as comfortable with saying it. I might say it a little earlier than you uh, because, because of our makeup. I'm getting there. Getting but there. but the key is is that, that we're on that journey because the greatest thing in the world is is mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. And uh, and I would say to everybody who's listening, mm-hmm. like, like if something's gotten in the way of that, then figure out a way to get around that because – because Jesus is just awesome and mm. he will change your life. Mm. And, Bro, and there is no reason to brother, be make sold out to anything call. else. You, <laughs> my altar call, my altar call would do, be this. Do your altar call right here, right now. This, my I, altar call would be this. I have literally I tried. Because you you're the evangelist. <laughs> I have literally tried every single thing in my life. Like the mm. sins of my life, as Paul would say, you know, the worst of sinners am I. But but mm. but Christ came into my life in such a powerful way and completely transformed it. And I've had a lot of good things happen in my life, but nothing like that. And and I would tell everybody that mm. that mm. that and it's not just about being a Christian. It's about being sold out for Jesus. Mm. That means that if Jesus tells me, mm. Chad, that is not glorifying me anymore then I'm going to give it up. If Jesus tells me, mm-hmm. Chad, this is what you need to believe, even if it doesn't make sense to your little mind, then I'm going to believe that because because mm. mm. it's not just about going through the motions of being a Christian. Um, it's about being mm. a sold out, devoted follower of Jesus. And that is where you find the truest joy in life by any stretch. And I would say that the best way to do that is with a small community of other people. It's a method which cannot fail mm, for the yes. blessing of your life. Uh, yes. and, and so go find, Amen. if you live wow, anywhere near Bangor, up. go and hang out with Sean. Amen. Amen. <laughs> and if you live anywhere near Spencerville, Maryland, is that even a town, Spencerville? Isn't it? It's a, it's a little hamlet. <laughs> A Hamlet. Okay, if you live about near this the Hamlet, <laughs> okay, they can't see you, but it's about twelve inches wide. Um, but Chad owns the largest real estate there with his church. Um, so if you if you live anywhere near Spencerville, check Chad out. Spencerville Seventh Day Adventist Church. Chad, man, this was inspiring. I really appreciate you coming on, and um, I appreciate you, brother, and you've influenced me. I do. I do quote you. Quite frequently, actually, when I'm with my leadership team, uh, many of your blogs that I've read in the past and just personal conversations. So thank you, brother, for your good word. And uh, you've you've challenged me here today, actually, I want to say, because um, 
sometimes we kind of think the kids are the sideshow with the small group missional community thing. And you've really given me a lot of food for thought with um, maybe how to feature them more than just kind of tolerate them in that type of meeting setting. So Chad, man, thank you so much for the conversation. Guys, I know I have been challenged, blessed, inspired. I hope you have as well. And yeah, the solemn appeal is number one, lean into Jesus, accept Jesus, walk with Jesus, and walk with other Jesus followers in community with them. That's where it's at. So guys, thank you for listening. Thank you, Chad. And we will talk again soon. God bless. Thank you for listening to Mission Lab. Our theme song is Portland Hike by Tiny Music. Additional editing by Chris Ogay. Follow us on Twitter at MLabPodcast. Podcast.